1: Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, all And Lou. Hey, guys. Um, today, we're going to be going over a few current events in the world of labor, a few stories that um, are ongoing, though they haven't really gotten too much attention from other media outlets. Um, that's why we're here on Punching Out to talk about them. The one we're going to lead off with today is one that... Uh, may well impact you if you are a fan of um Oreos and a variety of other snack foods um Nabisco workers in five states across the US have um gone on strike uh, protesting uh what management's attempts to force them to work uh, 12-hour day- shifts for 7 days a week if i have that right and and even up to 16 hours on some days
2: especially Saturdays
1: which <laughs> The world doesn't need Oreos that bad, frankly.
3: It, yeah, they're good and all, but like, I don't feel like the immiseration of a whole bunch of people is worth my snacks.
1: I, I would, in fact, argue it makes the snacks taste worse, but what do I know? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Nabisco workers on strike have explicitly called for a boycott of Nabisco products while the strike is ongoing. Um, just, just to give... Some exact details here uh, from a CBS News article that was published August 23rd. The strike is still ongoing now, two weeks later. Um, Roughly 1,050 Nabisco workers are staying off the job in Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Oregon, and Virginia, according to the union. The Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers International, or BCTGM. The labor dispute began nearly three weeks ago with the workers at Nabisco factory in Portland, Oregon, calling a strike. The strike has since spread, with workers in Chicago joining the labor action on Thursday, and workers in Norcross, Georgia, following suit on Monday. The article goes on to say that Nabisco workers have been working without a contract since the end of May, with negotiations breaking down after its parent company, Mondelez International, proposed changes that include turning eight-hour shifts into 12-hour ones without overtime. Workers would receive overtime on the 6th and 7th days, provided they work their scheduled hours during the week. The company has also proposed that new hires shoulder additional costs of health insurance. What a great company.
3: So just for the folks at home who didn't want to do the math on that, that means you have to work 60 hours in a row, or 5 days in a row, and then you're eligible for overtime when you're working on the weekends, as long as you actually show up.
1: When you're working hours 60 to 84 of your shift at the Nabisco plant.
3: Which is a raw deal.
2: And they also mentioned, I, I think the company said in a quote, this is, this is wild. Uh, the company official said something like, we meant for this to encourage the right behaviors in workers. And specifically pointed out uh, that they were trying to make it impossible for workers to collect overtime if they had called in sick during the week which is not how sick leave works.
3: But I mean, that's what they're trying to go with this, at this shift, is they're going to pack as much work instead of, uh, instead of your eight-hour day, you're mandatory working a 12-hour day, five days in a row. And then if they also need you to work the weekend, then you can do it. And there was something farther along in the article about how much sick time they were going to get, and it was something like 40 hours accrued over a year, so an hour a week. Or an hour, yeah, an hour and that a week. was
2: legislation that wasn't even like a company right. policy or a unit contract. they had to do that, so yet again, here's this theme of as soon as you make a company give their workers something, they immediately find other places to start cutting corners or force more out of their workers, and in the case of uh Nabisco or Mondelez or whatever the heck, um because now they're um now because of the pandemic, they don't wanna hire so they're intentionally short staffing which obviously means that the people who are there are also going to be forced to work longer hours or at least that's what they wanted to do they
1: they are just not willing to accept the idea that having fewer workers means you can't have as many hours at your plant running you know 24/7 it, it's the, there's an unwillingness to do less with less you always have to do more with less in the corporate world, you always have to be growing and expanding and uh, churning out at least as much, if not more, than you did last year.
3: Yeah, and it's it's really kind of frightening how this twelve-hour workday they're trying to make a standard because uh, we've, if you're not in factory work or something like that, you've we've kind of emotionally institutionalized the eight-hour workday. I can't say actually institutionalized it because this is happening. Um, and the fact that they they can force 60-hour weeks on people without having any pushback is really kind of shocking. Um, I know we've talked about it before, but it's startling. And I kind of wish more people – like I feel bad as somebody who's often on this podcast, but uh, my coworkers didn't know the strike was happening. They talked to me this week and they are like, hey, what's this I hear about? Not eating Oreos, what? And so I've—I'm sorry, comrades. I have failed. I'll um, do better in the future. But yeah, it's not—not it, not enough people know what's going on.
2: I wonder why.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you go to I mean, a grocery store and they're—they're they're out of the cookies or whatever, and they say due to uh, uh, production delays or something like that.
2: They're there not. Might be That's the wild part. You go to a grocery store right now. And the aisle is full. And in fact, in the article that we're talking about, if I remember correctly, it says a couple of times, once I think by the company and once in the article, which is this great thing of journalism subtly taking the side of the corporation here, but says that don't worry, you'll still get your Oreos because uh, the strike is not expected to impact production. So this wasn't like the Frito-Lay thing where the company essentially said, we'll take the short-term hit in hopes of presumably turning public opinion against the strikers. We won't try to bring in a massive amount of scabs or anything. And that didn't work as well as it should have. And now you've got with this one, they're just going to pack the aisle full of snacks. And, you know, despite what brave prophet Danny DeVito might try to tell us whatever the cost to his uh, Twitter verification may be. So uh, they, they've just decided on the opposite tactic. They've decided they're going to keep everything as normal as possible and hope that people don't notice, and they're going to be right about that. That that's the unfortunate truth. At the very least, they're going to be more right about that than they will be wrong.
1: What uh, Noah referenced about Dan- Danny DeVito for listeners who may not know is that um, the actor tweeted in solidarity with the workers, um, saying, "You know, no contract, no snacks. You know, if you you know support the striking workers by not buying Nabisco products, and weirdly." lost his uh, blue check mark on Twitter as a result of this seemingly as a result of this there was no other reason why this might have occurred for a few days before after uh, people noticed and there was a lot of backlash it was restored to his account and it and it may have been
2: because Mondelez has a stake in Twitter if i remember correctly who can say allegedly allegedly
1: you know Twitter Twitter is a fun place for like seeing what Uh, Nabisco is tweeting out they've got like special Halloween Oreos coming out and all of the replies are about you know not making their workers work 84 hour weeks so
2: that that's truly spooky sure is well I mean it is seasonally appropriate what you've got here is a battle versus ghouls it's these are people who are bent on Okay, I wasn't actually intending this one, but they are literally just blood-sucking parasites off the labor of these workers. They are trying to force as much as they can out of people who already have worked for these plants for a long amount of time. One of the workers interviewed has been at the plant in, I think, it's Chicago for 27 years and talks about how you know Nabisco respected us. And I'm sure that's not true, but I'm sure it feels that way now. But uh, as soon as they got sold to Kraft and then Kraft spun out as Mondelez, which, by the way, I happen to know the history of that name. And it is exactly as stupid as you listening think it is. It They claim that it was decided by the employees. That that's that's already a sign that even they know it's dumb. But the end result of all of this is that these employees have noticed that a company is actively trying to screw them over in a way that. The fact that this is remotely socially acceptable should be proof of how cursed this country is. The fact that, you know, if you're one of these executives or one of these people who put this plan into action, the fact that you can eat anywhere, the fact that you're allowed out in public anywhere should should be prima facie evidence that this country needs a real do over.
1: Just to quote exactly what that uh, worker had said, he described Namisco as a real big family. They treated us with respect. Mondelez just wants work, 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 16-hour days through this whole pandemic, said April Flowers Lewis, who has worked at the Namisco plant in Chicago for 27 years. People are scared to come to work on Saturdays because they make us work 16 hours. We're short-staffed, but they don't want to hire. You mentioned the takeover by Kraft. That was in 2000. Uh, Kraft then spun off its snack foods business as Mondelēz in 2012.
3: Yeah, just great stuff. I love it. Um I, it's 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 really astonishing. Some people on Twitter are pointing out how um Mondelēz seems to be doing more or the the Oreo brands have been doing more advertising in the past 4 weeks than they probably have in the past 4 years. Um, I haven't gone through to make sure that's true or not because I block a lot of things, Um, but it sounds true, feels true, feels very true.
1: We've talked a lot about Oreo. That's probably the biggest brand that people know Nabisco for. But if you would like to be an educated consumer, um, you might know that uh, they are also responsible for Wheat Thins, Fig Newtons, Cheese Nips, Chips Ahoy, and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. There are a lot of products that, um, if you would like to um, participate in the boycott, you should be avoiding. And then, you know, this strike has taken a turn that a lot of strikes taken, which is towards not, not exactly violence, but... Oh, no. As of today, it's violence. Oh, oh, I had not seen this.
2: Yeah, there, there was actually an incident where, trying to remember in which location it was... But somebody was actually apparently attacked by employees of the security company after work, which I, I don't understand. If you're a striker, presumably you wouldn't be going in, but it it's one of these weird situations where I mean there's video, it's happening, they're getting shoved around and whatnot. But let let's talk about how it got to this point, because the the very clear evidence based on uh the article that we have is that Mondelez was hoping that this would eventually come to pass. Because that's what every company hopes in the end. I mean, we, we've seen this over the past few years. This is, this is Pinkerton crap. This is what happened with the workers a while back who were blamed for lines, for communication lines getting cut into the compound where they were striking, which had been cut with an axe because that's a thing everyone has lying around in their house these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a number of other, there's been a number of these incidents throughout the last
1: few. During the warrior met coal strike, there were incidents of uh, security driving through the picket line,
2: which we have a name for that. That's called attempted vehicular homicide. And the fact that that's not how we're referring to these things. Like, again, these are one of the reasons that people don't know about this. Like, at my workplace, I can't mention it because pretty much everybody will go, well, they should just go work elsewhere. But one of the one of the other reasons that they don't know that it's happening is because it's pretty clear, based on the articles that you read, that almost the entire media is on the side of Mondelez. And why shouldn't they be if they don't get money directly from them, because snack foods businesses are now also vampire squid companies? They get business, they get money from the companies that are related to them. So it ends up not
1: mattering. Well, they get ad money. Yep. You know, you know, Chips Ahoy ads are everywhere. Oreo ads are everywhere.
3: Yeah. Labor unions aren't paying for ads, which maybe is a, I don't know. I think it would be a waste of money, but also maybe they Labor should. unions
1: are paying for ads, but only for Democratic presidential candidates. Um to sort of work backwards to the things that led up to uh, the security tactics turning violent today, as, as Noah reported just now, Um, senior labor correspondent, Noah, thank you for the update. Um, I just keep picking up beats. (laughs) Um, there, There was a story in Willamette week, which is a magazine in the Portland, Oregon area, I believe, from just this past Sunday as the month old, Baker strike at the Portland Nabisco facility continues to escalate. So do the techniques used by company security guards hired through an out-of-state strike staffing company called Huffmaster. A lot in just that one sentence. Dumb security company name for a dumb company name. This is a match made in hell. Huffmaster, again, bad name, but also strike staffing company is quite a euphemism. The article lays out how, um, you know, In the early days of the strike, the security guards would mostly huddle in small groups on company grounds, and they more or less left the strikers to their own business. But, quote, the security guards have come increasingly more involved with the protesters, both by using intimidation techniques and getting increasingly physical with union members, as well as with outside protesters. The standoff between the Baker's Union and Mondelez International escalated 10 days ago when the company sent a seats and assist letter to local union leadership on September 2nd, threatening legal action. The union's attorney disagreed. Mondelez attorneys also called the union's business agent, Cameron Taylor, to signal they would be seeking a temporary restraining order against the union. Uh, Four days later, they told the union's attorney, Margaret Olney, that they would not be pursuing the order for now. So that's sort of the beginnings. And then uh, sources have shared a dozen videos and pictures that demonstrate a shift in how Mondelez's contracted security guards are acting towards strikers and supporters of the strike. One picture shows two male security guards on September 2nd standing within inches on either side of a female striker, Regina Clavineau, who's holding up a picket sign by the railroad tracks. Where until last week, when police ordered them to move, strikers were camped beside to stop supply trains containing flour, sugar, and oil from entering the bakery.
2: That that's normal behavior.
1: Classic. You know, I mean, this is old school strike stuff. This is you know strikers seeking to cut off the lines of supply to the company, and the company responding with you know the only tool they have, force, hired guns. The
2: corporate world really only knows force. They only know bullying, they only know blowouts. They they have no actual. This is this is one of the things that I find most irritating about their self-regard because they like to think of themselves as, you know, the sharks in the water, the the skilled hunters, the the clever people. And in reality, all they have is money to pay other people to go beat you up for them. That's all they have. And and it you know, it's it's In the landscape that we have, where the police and the media and everybody else sides with the corporation over workers, then obviously that's a lot. But the fact is that it has no reflection on who you are or on any of your personal qualities or so-called intelligence that you can throw some bills to get some thugs in pretend cop uniforms to come in and intimidate and beat up people for you.
1: We've talked about this in just the last month on the show. We talked about the history of the Battle of Blair Mountain. We've talked about the Pinkertons. You know, All of this stuff is all too common in when it comes to uh, labor fights. And unfortunately, all too legal, really. I mean, there's not much tooth to the NORB when it comes to these sorts of in- intimidation tactics. Um, what I'm hearing here is the NORB should have guns.
3: <laughs> <laughs> for once it was Noah, not me. That's that's the the only thing I mean you guys are both exactly right. The only tool they have is force. Um this is foreshadowing a bit for the next segment. Hint hint. Uh but whenever they can't whenever people seem to be having it too good, they're going to do whatever they can in order to cut back and force people into working in, in a deal that isn't fair and isn't right. And any protest to that is going to be met with coercion in, in ways that aren't fair. And unfortunately all of the, the force and all of the uh, abilities to, to rally that kind of force and power for the most part, are most easily found by employers and the government.
1: Just a little bit more added context on the strike from the CBS article. Um, another source of friction for workers came when Mondelēz eliminated pensions in 2018 and switched to 401k plans. The Nabisco strikes also come on the heels of a nearly three-week walkout by hundreds of Frito-Lay workers in Topeka, Kansas, protesting back-to-back 12-hour shifts with only eight hours off in between, um, same union, you know, same industry, same problems effectively. Uh, who knew that snack foods were, you know, the new coal mines? Well
2: that, okay. But hold on though. Right. Because that is again, part of the problem that we have. If you talk to people, if you spend a lot of time around people, Whose grandfathers and great grandfathers were supposedly salt of the earth factory workers, uh, and whose parents have advanced degrees and are doctors and lawyers and whatnot. And I unfortunately spend a lot of time around these people. The result is that they'll tell you that oh, they needed unions. One, they needed unions for the coal miners. They needed unions for the factory workers because you know you could lose your hand in an accident. And blah, blah blah and so on. And now you just don't need them. Because nobody gets treated like that, which is patently false, but also implies like number one implies that everyone agreed on this at the time, which is not true at all, but also implies that there's no danger in these jobs, that there's no problems with the working conditions at them, that these things aren't happening, and... Also ignores that the eight-hour day, that having days off, if you still do, that those pensions that Mondelez got rid of, that those were fights that were won, they were not given by the benevolence of corporate leaders. That was done because workers were brave enough to leave the line. and people when, And people in this country have this weird need to not admit that. And I don't know why it is. And actually, you know what struck me in preparing for this episode? I was listening to I'm that weirdo who listens to every single old Punching Out episode. Sometimes multiple times.
1: Actually, we think all listeners are not weirdos.
3: (laughs) You're all normal. (laughs) And also, maybe you should all listen to old Punching Out episodes over and over and over again. That's fine, too.
2: Very true. Very true. Point is. I was struck by something Mohini said a few weeks ago on the Fight for 15 episode, which is again, you know, another example of workers in an industry that nobody treats with the respect that it deserves and also a food service industry, organizing, collectivizing to win something and not enough, but something. And she mentioned on that show, on that episode, that it seems like part of the problem is that people don't want to admit that they might have to fight for some things. And I think that's what's behind a lot of this. I mean, there are people who are cruel. There are people who are evil. Those people exist and they are unwinnable in most cases. But I think there are a lot of people who just don't want to admit that these things still happen. And that if you thought about it for a moment, you'd realize that there is no way that you can have access to the amount of food you have. With the, few, with the unemployment statistics being the way they are, with people being out of work the way they are, with people being unhoused the way they are, there is no way that you can have access to the amount of stuff that you get and can have without some serious abuse of labor. And I think if people realize that, then the cognitive dissonance starts to set in because I think, I mean, you know, even I, knowing all of these things, do have to ignore it for part of my day so that I don't go blubber in the corner in the fetal position. Like there are, these are necessities to continue surviving in the capitalist world that we inhabit. But it is also very much the case that people do all of these mental acrobatics to avoid ever having to confront it.
1: Um, we're gonna try to walk back from the edge in the n- <laughs> next segment, and we'll try to. Uh, I. You. Our won't. next segment isn't positive. Order. We're not going positive yet. Uh, don't worry about you know us interrupting the usual routine here but um uh hopefully we won't be so existential in the next 20 minutes we'll be back
3: you're listening to punching out
1: on w-a-y-o-l-p rochester if you'd like to continue slacking off you can find all of our past episodes on itunes and soundcloud remember your boss isn't listening but we are Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah, still I y'all, and Lou. Hey guys. This past Labor Day, fittingly, unemployment benefits for millions of American workers were slashed. Uh, this was the expiration of the CARES Act, first passed in at the start of the pandemic last March, and then extended by the Biden administration and Congress this past March as well. I believe it's one that finally passed. And this comes a few months after 25 states, Republican-led states, uh, ended the unemployment benefits prematurely before the federal benefits expired. Um, And what people found in the states that did so, uh, which talked about uh, a worker shortage and the need to get people back to work by removing benefits that were supposedly keeping them at home, is that... Actually, there was no appreciable difference in how many people went back to work following the slashing of the extra $600 a month. It was a month, right?
3: Yes. It may not even no, have I been think $600. It, I think it was in New York State. I think it may have been $300 a week. Okay. Um, as the minimum. So, yeah, I think federally it may have been 600 a month. I don't know. I never went on unemployment for for this round. So I don't know specifically, and it's been a while and been a year. So I don't remember. It was a lot more than what you would have gotten otherwise, and a lot more than what you're getting now. Um, Because I think unemployment still only pays like two thirds of what your salary was beforehand, um, or, or, or your wage was.
1: It was an additional $300 a week on top of the standard unemployment insurance benefits um, that was ended. And once again, studies found that far from actually spurring people back into the workforce, there wasn't really any appreciable effect at all. We had basically a perfect natural experiment where half the country decided to take one option and the, half the country continued uh, having these federal benefits And there was very little difference between them, except that in the half that cut benefits, people lost a lot of money that was otherwise owed them.
3: People lost money, yes, but also spending went like cratered in those states as well. So if you're thinking about this from a more capitalist mindset of trying to get the economy going and and the movement of money equals uh, making of money – nothing happened. People didn't have money to spend and therefore they didn't spend it. So businesses were hurt on top of of workers. Obviously workers matter more, but the devil-y side of it is that the, the capitalists failed as well, which makes sense. Like if you stop paying people money or you give them, or you stop having money out there to spend, people aren't going to spend it.
2: But what you're assuming there... And this is something that we come up against on this show a lot whenever we talk about how doing this or that or you know the other thing would save business owners money, would save capitalist money, would allow people blah, blah, blah. You're assuming that what capitalists want is for people to spend money. And ultimately what they want is to force you to spend money in the ways that they want you to spend money. Like the control is the important part because they're also completely irrational, like their whole thing. Is the rest of us serving their fragile and overinflated egos? And I cannot believe that this was supposed to be less bleak than the previous segment, which was a story about workers organizing. Um, but But my actual point here is this is something that you hear a lot when we talk about health insurance and healthcare reform and things like the New York Health Act, right? Which would be a windfall for many, many workplaces in New York State. But a lot of businesses of all sizes, small, medium, large, whatever you want, will not go for it because what they like is having health insurance as a tool to control the workers. And much the same way, these capitalists and even the small businessmen who it business owners, part of me, uh, because girl bosses exist too. But even yeah. even the small business people who were hurt by this lack of spending, who would not shut the hell up for the previous several months about how they were hurt by that worker shortage. I would say that ultimately, they're just going to blame the worker. They're not at all going to blame the people who frankly tricked them into hurting their own bottom line. They're not going to do that. They're just going to turn around and blame other people, people whom they could have employed at a living wage, but didn't want to.
1: Ultimately, you're not going to see the same sort of media frenzy about this unemployment benefits being ended that you saw a few months ago about the scourge of a worker shortage across the country at uh, Denny's and uh, Dairy Queens and uh, various you got paid diners
2: or restaurants. In between these two episodes, <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, there's just not going to be any sort of effort to direct business owners' ire towards. Uh, the ending of these benefits because you know that's not what business owners are interested in. They They're they employers. don't want capital E employers.
3: Yeah, and I mean that's partly evidenced by the fact that we still are seeing the stupid homemade signs at, or at least according to the internet, we are. I don't go out. Uh, the stupid homemade signs of nobody wanted to work today, so that's why you're having to wait in line and I no nobody, nobody wants to work, but you've never once even regardless of pay made it a fun thing to do, which
2: that's the amazing thing about that. Um, I am told by my bosses all the time to be extremely careful in how I phrase everything I write, because you never know how somebody else can take something because in in the service industry, Wait, which is where Noah, what do you do? I'm not telling you uh, because in the service industry where I work, everyone is apparently uh, the most poorly secured piece of explosive material in human history and may go off at a moment's notice and has sometimes. Uh, and I know you're familiar with, with these sets of people. I know you both, I think are familiar with these sets of people now and again. So they're very careful of phrasing that. And so by the same token, If you see one of these signs, you know that that person is a terrible human being. You know that no one would ever want to work for that person. That's the thing. And you know how I know that? Because I've seen the nice version of that sign. There are versions of that sign that, I mean, I'm not saying they're great, but at least they're willing to say, like, we're shorthanded today, so you might be waiting a little bit longer. But they don't say nobody wants to work anymore. And I think the fact that you phrase it that way already implies a certain change in how you view the prospects of the people that are coming in. Because we're shorthanded is a normal thing that happens in a lot of places, mostly because they're already not hiring enough workers. But nobody wants to work here anymore is meant to make you the consumer hate these mythical people who do not want to work. Which I mean, they're not mythical we we don't want to we have to to eat and keep a roof over our heads, but like this is the kind of thing where like nobody would put people under the control of these jumped up tyrants if the if you were designing the system from the ground up, it would make no sense. It makes sense because we're all used to it. That's it. That's all it is.
3: Do you remember that Jason's deli sign from Florida? That it was like a now hiring sign and it had the different pay rates and the level yes. of effort
2: you were supposed to put the in. The one where you earn 15 if you're like more into it than the owner.
3: Yeah. it like they. It's difficult to have a productive conversation with somebody who would write that or think that because they just don't get it at all. Like, I, I can't there, say what
2: I think a productive conversation would be without getting us banned.
3: Yeah, let's let's avoid that. Again, stop stepping on my bits, Noah. Like, but you can't do anything with that because if you honestly think that you need to eat, leave and live and breathe Jason's deli uh-huh. in order to be making $15 an hour, which is again not that much money, you're you're insane. Like there's there's no amount of of rationalization that you can bring to that person that would make them get what makes them a horrible person, and that's one of the frustrations with this argu- with this conversation about unemployment benefits is because there's no one argument, let alone any amount of arguments, that would get them to understand that working in, in this kind of coercive behavior is not going to make people want to do it more. And it's not going to lead to a situation in which we can all be happy, healthy, and and productive. And again, that sounds like I'm talking from the the capitalist perspective, but that's what they want. And they they can't even understand how it's stupid.
1: Just to put some numbers on this conversation, uh, the... Last set of cuts, uh, the federal benefits expiring on Labor Day, affected uh, more than 11 million people, and roughly 7.5 million people have now lost their benefits entirely, according to an article in CNET by Laura Michelle Davis just today. Um, you know, that's a huge chunk of the country. That's like, the scale of this is probably bigger than anybody has wrapped their head around, but the fact that it was allowed to happen after we saw through our natural experiment that it didn't really make any difference as to whether people went back to work the way everybody says they're supposed to is sort of damning given that Democrats had the power to uh, continue these benefits.
2: Well, the problem is they had the power. They didn't have the donors, right? I mean, I want to get back to something Lou said because So what's interesting here is, right, you're talking about how they can't see the forest for the trees, right? Like they're so busy indulging this institutionalized sociopathy that we've given them the opportunity to practice that they can't understand that they're making us less happy, less healthy, less productive. And I honestly feel ultimately that is what it's about for them. They know that they are losing out on money they could have. They know that they are losing out Unproductive workers, they know all of these risks, and they choose them because it makes them feel better about themselves like that's all there is to it because ultimately the economic decisions that they make and the things that they do are in fact completely unhinged unless you come at them from the point of view of somebody who is looking not to maximize profit or revenue or any of these other big scary important numbers but ego. That's it. That's what actually – that's what it comes down to. That's why we've got all these people with more money than anyone could ever spend in a lifetime. That's why we've got people who will – like would rather crawl – would rather crawl across fire than take on an additional worker at a living wage, whether, they, whether they're whether they the CEO of Microsoft or the owner of Jason's Deli because e- each little thing is a chip away at them feeling – like the nobility, which is what they are. There, there's, there's a case to be made, and I don't want to get too tangential, but that by saying, you know, we're not going to have an aristocracy in this country, we actually just managed to entrench one because it's not there. There's nobody walking around with a title like Duke or Viscount or whatever the heck. So there's no way to actually point at someone and go, look, that's the toff. That's the guy you have to go after now.
1: I, I do think it's interesting to contrast uh, the story in this segment from the story in last segment. You know, we heard so much about this worker shortage and how hard it was for companies to find work, and yet Mondelez is out here doing everything it can to alienate the workers it has. That does not seem like the actions of a company that is concerned about a worker shortage. It, it's completely at odds with you know everything we've heard about. How tough it is to find good help these days. There's um, something that doesn't add up there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's precisely what it is. Is on the one hand you have uh, workers, you know, working eighty four hour weeks, and on the other you have oh well they're not going to work for a seven twenty five. Like one problem would fix the other, or one problem is related to the other, and it. It's, ex- it's like Noah said, it's exactly about power and about control and making sure that the options for the overwhelming majority of us are extremely limited. So that we would work for 725, eight, four, 84 hours a week. Which even in 1800s Britain, 84 hours was a week, a week was a little extreme. In terms of your work week, so yeah, I mean these people they they suck, and I think i I shall not speak or I shall be censored
2: <laughs> you you will not speak if you speak, you are in big trouble so so ryan i I know we can't say the l word here, but are you saying there might be some shall we say terminological inexactitudes? In, in what's going on here. There might be an economical relationship with the truth in uh, in, the, in the way that these companies talk about worker shortages and then turn around and treat their actual workers like manure. I,
1: I think the term you used is how the New York Times would describe it, yes. But like, yeah. we can just say they're lying. We can oh, say yeah, we they're can. making yeah. stuff up.
2: <laughs> I was going via parliamentary procedure here, you know? Being very, very careful about it. Yeah, of course they're lying because... It's, again, going back to that uh, Fight for 15 episode, because here's the other thing, right? It sets a precedent. And this is something that I don't remember if it was Mohini or, or Gene Allen who said it, or it may have even been you, Ryan. It, it's been a couple days. I'm I'm lying now. It's been one. But one of you mentioned that the thing about it is that when you raise the minimum wage, right, for fast food jobs and jobs like that, jobs that we all, like most of us look down on, okay? other workers. Also get the effects of that, and they start making more money because they're able to go to their managers and say, "Well, if you can't pay me more, I'm going to go work over there." And you know, then your manager gets extremely angry at you because it's like, "Well, you're not supposed to go want to flip burgers and whatnot." And you're like, "Well, you know that that's how the like for once the invisible hand is working against you. Deal with it." And that's what I think they ultimately don't want it. It's a thing of if you give them it, it's they're worried that we're all the proverbial mouse and the I am about, I am heavily treading water here because I never read these books. And the living wage is the cookie, if I remember correctly. So if if even go one on. se- yes, if we even get one sector of workers to be paid a living wage, then other people are going to start demanding that more. And before you know it, cats and dogs lying together, mass hysteria, you might have people being able to make an honest living, you know, working a job with reasonable hours and good pay and benefits and all that sort of thing. And then where would we be? Like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos might have to take one zero off their pay. And that's just unconscionable. I mean, you should be brought up in The Hague for doing that. And I think that's the ultimate problem. It's not so much the numbers game. So I, I think that is how they justify it. It is ultimately that they cannot deal with losing even one of these battles. That's why they, they will spend... And we've talked about this. We've talked about how this is why they'll spend money on union consultants to tell you who's Samoan at the workplace. Or, you know, they'll spend money on security who'll stand on either
1: side. Excuse me, strike staffing.
2: Yes, They'll spend money on strike staffing companies to stand on either side and intimidate a woman who is holding up a picket sign. You know, when you've already got the police and the media on your side, apparently you also need a bunch of dudes in weirdo Rena Cop uniforms telling people what to do because I guess that's what you do when you're a corporate zombie. And the result of all of this is that every one of these, every time they win one of these battles, they just entrench that further. If they that That's why they have to do all of that. That's why they're willing to spend that money. First of all, so they don't set the precedent. And second of all, and I've said this before, so that that money is not then available to pay your workers. It came off the books. You used it up.
1: It's gone.
3: Yep. That's it.
1: Um, we're going to take a break on that note. But when we come back, we do actually have some positive
0: news from the last <gasps> two weeks. Incredible. we will be back. This is Punching Out, a project of the Punching Out Collective, and we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker. You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter at Punching Out Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching
1: Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi y'all, and Lou. Hey guys. We talked in the first two segments of this show about um, you know some recent labor news that has been more or less distressing and you know unpleasant uh, as most news has been over the past uh, five years now. Gosh, time flies. Um, Recorded history, really. Y- <laughs> While you'd be forgiven for assuming that there is no such thing as good news anymore. We do have a couple of. More or less positive stories to share to round out this episode to complete the punching out cycle of, you know, ending positively as best we can.
3: As best we can, Noah.
1: Number one on this list, it's a short list to be fair, is that, you know, in August, the National Labor Review Board ruled against Amazon and ruled that they had uh, illegally interfered with their union election in Alabama at a warehouse in Bessemer. And as such, they will likely have to deal with a new election and one that workers will be you know, well aware of what Amazon did in the first election in. And so this is good news because it means that cheating actually didn't prosper for now, at least. They may still win the second election, but we have to be positive.
3: Yeah, we we have to. But it was definitely one of those things where everybody could see it happening. Everybody knew there was cheating. But in the process of it, there was absolutely nothing they could do to stop it, it felt like. And it took a judge after the fact going like, yeah, no, you're right. That was totally illegal. You shouldn't do that uh, for anything to happen. And now potentially we'll have a second election. Um, but yay! At least the judge could have been a uh, butthead and ruled the other way. But
1: we have seen in recent years that even obvious wrongdoing doesn't necessarily result in the punishment that is in theory accor- afforded to wrongdoing. You know, there's there has been a trend of people realizing that if they just do it out in the open, nobody can accuse them of you know running a conspiracy. It's um <laughs>
3: that's true. I'd never thought of it that way, but yeah, if you're very obviously trying to steal an election, nobody can uh accuse you of nefarious deeds.
1: If you're not trying to hide what you're doing, is it really that wrong? <laughs> I I do have to interrupt our bit of positivity here to note that uh, during the break when I was l- looking up an article to reference about uh, you know, this NORB ruling, um I came across one that um I don't think its author is listening to punching out um, or anything good because the headline here is NORB slammed for recommending new Amazon union election. Uh, Not off to a good start. It gets worse. Oh, no. Uh, First paragraph. The Coalition for a Democratic Workplace, composed of hundreds of organizations representing millions of businesses that employed tens of millions of workers nationwide in nearly every industry, released the following statement today in response to hear- a hearing officer for the NORB recommending that the union election results for Amazon warehouse workers in Birmingham, Alabama, be overturned and that a new election should be scheduled. following statement is attributable to CDW Chair Kristen Swearingen. Quote, <coughs> It's disappointing that the NORB is considering to side with big labor by setting aside the will of American workers.
3: Big labor. (laughs) I thought
2: you were, you said this was going to make me mad. This is hilarious.
1: (laughs) All workers during this election had months to listen to and weigh both sides and make a decision on their own of what was best for them and their families. Amazon even made it easier and more convenient to vote. But a massive disinformation campaign spread by unions about voting by mail, which the union requested, appears to have deceived members of the NORB.
2: What didn't we say on this very show that it was precisely Amazon who had a disinformation campaign about voting by mail? Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah, they were yes. legitimately threatening workers and saying if you vote for this, we will take away your health care. And by the way, how's your cancer treatments going? Like, what are you talking about?
2: A thing that, by the way, is actually illegal, like a lot of these things are legal. that is not one of them, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the union busting episode, it's probably longer now uh we We talked about how no evil foods got around that by saying oh we we don't really know what will happen with your health care, but you know it it could it could not go anywhere it could it could be bad. things could get worse. It, it this is a great example of something that I, I wish people, you know, I I grew up around a lot of public relations and advertising types, and one thing that you very quickly learn hanging around these people is that if you have to say something, it's not true. If you have to call yourself the Coalition for a Democratic Workplace, you don't believe in a democratic workplace, and you're not a real coalition. Yeah. If you talk about Amazon workers being able to weigh both sides, they weren't able to weigh both sides. No, you have they were.
3: Invited to or not invited, they were mi- told to go to meetings where they were talking about anti union propaganda, and these were mandatory that they had to show up to. So, yeah, no. And the mailbox that they set up in a tent was on camera the entire time. Like, all of these things are super duper illegal. And as we had mentioned, man, we really need to send this person our, our podcast, I think they would get a lot out of it. Our our radio show.
2: Amazon said, and I want to point this out. Amazon specifically mentioned that those cameras were there before the before the mailbox and the tent were.
3: Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. That that makes it so much better. better. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) We didn't deliberately put this mailbox here and uh, force the post office to put it on grounds where we could watch it. Uh, It's just that we happen to be watching that spot already, and so therefore it's fine. Yeah, sure. There's
2: something something I want to say to you if you're listening to this show and you're not, and we somehow have not convinced you at all of, of what we're talking about here. Amazon said all of the stuff that we're talking about right now. I will guarantee you right now. I don't care how low a bar you think you have at your work. I will guarantee you right now, 100% that you are held to a higher standard at your workplace than Amazon is being held by anyone involved with this decision. Amen. The bar is so much lower for these companies than it is for you, than it is for any of us talking to you right now. I'm I'm just letting you know right now, If you think that these workers were wrong to want the union, if you think that these strikers are wrong, I'm telling you right now that the companies they work for are held to a lower standard than you are. That
1: alone should make your blood boil.
3: Mm -hmm. Also, can we get back to Big Labor for a second because that was hilarious.
1: Would you like to hear more from the CDW?
2: Oh
3: lord. right, let's do it.
1: Big Labor by the band Big Labor. Off the album (laughs) Big Labor. (laughs) Big labor doing things. <laughs> Real pet and pixel cover art right there. Quote Union bosses would get another chance to deceive, harass, pressure, and intimidate workers in Birmingham to boost union ranks. These same union bosses are pushing the PRO Act, which would fundamentally change labor laws on a national scale and enable unions to fix elections to boost union membership at the expense of workers, small and local businesses, entrepreneurs, and main street consumers. These are not all the same people. If the NORB decides to overturn this election, it will be the first step towards taking away workers' rights and choice.
3: Oh, because we have so much already
1: there's a lot of, um, bizarro world in this
3: statement. Yeah. Um, It's from
1: a group that I'd never heard of until five minutes ago and now hate with my life.
3: I think they may have only started existing five minutes ago because they, they represent businesses, uh, which, okay. So if that's, would you like to know
1: exactly who they represent? It's listed at the bottom of this article. Oh
3: yes, please. I mean, you
2: said it was like 300
1: businesses, right? Um, Excuse me. The Coalition for a Democratic Workplace represents more than 600 major business organizations, including the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, National Small Business Association, National Restaurant Association, National Association of Home Builders, Retail Industry Leaders Association, National Grocers Association. The list goes on, but you get the idea. Why they have this,
2: that group exists. It's called the Chamber of Commerce. Like that place is there. Yeah, but Why? now it's just yeah. the chambers put, of commerce.
1: They put the chamber of commerce Voltron into another Chamber of Commerce Voltron. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the so worst I think lions in the universe. The,
3: the the most egregious part about this whole sham, uh, which is the kindest word I can say about it, um, is the, the democratic part, the democratic workplace. Like we've talked how many times have we talked on this show about Workplace democracy and the importance of it, and what that actually is. Workplace's democracy isn't your uh, cabals and and your corporations getting together to decide what everything else should be. That's not democracy. I mean, it might it, be the it American the workers flavor decide of it. that
2: that's what's best for them.
3: Yeah, but <laughs> it's not the workers, is it? It's the chambers of commerce.
2: That's right. No, this is this is transparently uh uh I bet you what's her name again Transparent S-
3: is the big word swearingen
2: there. swearingen, yeah, I bet you okay. I bet you she gets those human resources listserv emails I used to
3: she probably she seen, makes them they're probably from her
2: she probably does percent, yeah, that's a very good point. she does seem like a capital e employers person this is again you. You told me this would make me very angry. And in fact, I mean, I suppose it does in some way, but it was so expected that it is kind of funny. I especially love the biggest oxymoron to have ever existed in like discussing labor relations, which is union bosses. (laughs) I love that because it is a recognition by bosses that everyone hates them. (laughs) it is such a good attempt and i think it is very successful because as because american culture you know hates collectivization hates organization hates anything other than the rat race so you've got this thing where your your boss at your workplace is one thing but you want to be that person the union boss is such a perfect little bit of rhetoric because it is oxymoronic and other kinds of moronic but it also exploits the fact that you're supposed to hate your boss and joins it to the only thing that can make it worse. The boss of a collective. (laughs) That's the really scary part. Isn't it? That they might be responsible for other people doing better. That can't be allowed. So this is, I mean, we've, we've really gone in. I've really gone in deep anyway on these two words, but it's it's one thing it's a cliche of these statements that has always really bothered me and i think just hearing it juxtaposed with big labor really sold me on why
3: yeah it it couldn't be more the word that was used was transparently bs like it really couldn't the it's to the point where i'm i'm concerned more deeply about the continued rhetoric for the entire country given the fact that we keep getting more and more uh just blatant crap out of things and and just deliberate mistruths and 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 lies this
1: was supposed to be the positive segment but like it, knowing that this group is out here calling themselves the coalition for a democratic workplace it is not great I'm not happier knowing that than I was before knowing that definitely
2: yeah and and I'll tell you what it should be more evidence that the bar is so low for these companies, yeah, like again if if I didn't convince you before, you should understand by now, given everything we've told you that i I don't know how else to phrase it like this is the thing I don't understand when I talk to people about this stuff. This is uh Lou, this is what you were saying earlier when you talked about how. You can't have a productive conversation with some people, and part of the problem is that we're all so wrapped up in this idea that if we all just you know put our heads down and uh, uh, put our nose to the grindstone and keep chopping wood and whatever whatever other you know great cliches you want to throw out there, at some point, it will be enough for all of us to live well, and the fact is that we are all held to impossibly high standards. And if you don't think so, if you, if you maybe you do have the rare job where that's not the case, but I will tell you that your boss and if he or she has a boss or they have a boss, their boss and so on and so on and so on, they are each held to a lower bar than the person below them. We are at a point where the billionaires among us, people who live off of your sweat and mine All they have to do is breathe and get 16 fawning articles written across major media. And you and I work every day of our lives to try and keep a roof over our heads and food in our mouths and a bed to go to at night and to take care of our children and pets and to do what's best for our community. And we are held to so much a higher bar than that. And I know that if you're listening to this show and and you didn't happen to catch it randomly, then, you know. You likely already agree with
1: that. But just in case you don't, think about that for a while. I think that's a wonderful note for us to end on for this week. I'm Ryan. I was Noah.
3: I'm still Lou.
1: This is Punching Out. I'm punchin out. I'm punchin out.
0: You've been listening I'm punchin to Punching Out. Now. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching punchin Out Leo.